Good morning, church. So very good to see you. I know I, I tell you every week, but sometimes I say it so fast, uh, I, I just kind of breeze past it, but I love you so very much. I love this church family. I appreciate Richard Beasley last week uh, filling in for me while Holly and I and my boys were at Camp Blue Haven. We got to spend a week with a bunch of young people and watch several of them commit their lives to Jesus and be baptized into Christ, singing songs of praise and encouraging these young people, reminding them that God is with them. Amen? Amen. Sometimes we need that reminder, don't we? God is with you. God is for you. God loves you. And sometimes we need that reminder because it's easy to forget when things are really disappointing. And I don't feel like I handle disappointment real well. I feel like even, even little disappointments, and I won't even go through some of my disappointments because they're little, they're, they're minuscule, they're, they're minor, but, but some of those even minor disappointments, things that don't go well, a day that doesn't go well, a week that doesn't go well, things that don't go well, I, I don't feel like I handle that real well. And then I, I think about some of my friends and some of the disappointments that they're going through, and I think, I think hold on persevere and remember that God is with you and he's for you and he loves you. I think about a friend of mine in Ohio whose, whose wife has recently left him and left the Lord. That's not how he saw his marriage going. That's not how he saw his life going. I think about one of Holly's good friends who recently her mother was out bicycling and was struck by a vehicle and killed. Life can be incredibly disappointing sometimes, can't it? It's not how you saw your, your day going, maybe. Maybe it's not how you saw your week or your year or your life going. Life can be disappointing, and not just for us personally, but for our families. And we have to prepare one another to persevere through these disappointments, to remember that God is with us and God is for us and God loves us because there will be moments in our lives where we feel like we've been abandoned, where we feel like God doesn't hear us, where we feel like God is a long way from us. And the Psalms, as we've been talking about through this series, the Psalms, they, they prepare us these are, these are songs to sing, these are prayers to pray, these are thoughts to think that will help prepare you and your families to persevere through difficult times. These, these psalms ult ultimately prepared God's people to persevere through years, through decades, through centuries hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years preparing them to, to hold on, to persevere, to not give in to the feeling and the thought that God has abandoned them. Ultimately, these psalms prepare us and they foster a spirit of perseverance by helping us to look for Jesus. They helped prepare God's people to look for the ultimate deliverance, to look for Jesus centuries in the future. Look at Psalm 22. 
in verse 1 that was just read for us. And you may recognize these words. You may not. That's all right, too. But you may recognize these words. The psalmist gave these words to Israel. David gave these words to Israel. Not just because of whatever David was going through when he penned these words. But because he knew, more importantly, God knew, the Spirit of God knew that in every generation, people would need these words. That wherever you are in life, whatever you're going through, I promise you there are words in this psalm that will resonate with you. And the psalmist says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Isn't that amazing? That God intended for his people to sing these words or pray these words or meditate on these words year after year, decade after decade, century after century. For a thousand years before Jesus came, God's people were reciting these words. Why? Because when you go through disappointment, when things don't go the way you want them to go, when things hurt... This is the question you ask, isn't it? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why have you abandoned me? Now, one of the reasons we may recognize these words is because who quoted them? Jesus. And where did he quote them? On the cross. Jesus quoted these words on the cross. And not just these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the entire psalm echoes Jesus, or Jesus echoes the psalm. Jesus not only becomes our fellow sufferer, so that when you say, why have you turned your back on me, God? Why have you left me all alone? Why don't you answer my prayers? Jesus not only becomes our fellow sufferer, he becomes our ultimate sufferer. He becomes the ultimate sufferer. He embodies every word of this psalm. Every word of this psalm. Most of us can, can resonate with or relate to a little bit of this psalm, but Jesus embodies every word of this psalm. Let's keep reading verse 3. He says, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now in the context of this psalm, what is David saying? What is the psalmist saying? He's saying, you helped everybody else. It seems like in every generation, you took care of everybody else. And our fathers trusted in you, and you delivered them, and you listened to them, and you didn't abandon them, and you didn't forsake them, and you didn't turn your back on them. But what about me? What about me? 
What about what I'm going through right now? Where are you now? Where are you now? Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Again, the words of this psalm recited and meditated upon for hundreds and hundreds of years. Because everyone who trusts in the Lord, everyone who is meek, everyone who suffers and waits for God to deliver them, everyone who trusts in the Lord will have moments in their life where people mock them and say, what what are you trusting in the Lord for? You really think God is going to save you? You really think God is going to deliver you? You really think God is going to help you? You really think God is going to bless you? And for generation after generation, Century after century, God's people continued to wait, and many times they prayed, why don't you answer? Where are you? Have you forsaken me? Have you abandoned me? Have you turned your back on me? Why don't you answer my prayers? You've answered the prayers of our forefathers, but you won't answer my prayers. And people are mocking me, and they're saying, he trusts in God, let God save him. Now, again, Jesus comes to to not only empathize and suffer with his people, but becomes the ultimate embodiment of this, doesn't he? So that on the cross, people are mocking him. He saved others. Let him save himself. Look at verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. He says, like a a doctor or, or like a father delivers the baby and lays the baby in the mother's arms. That's what you've done for me, God. You've taught me to trust you. You've taught me to wait for you. But, but right now, in this moment, while I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing right now, it feels like trouble is right here. Trouble is near. And you are far. You ever felt like that? Our, our young people need to know that there's going to be moments in life that feel like that. Moments in life where trouble feels near and God feels far. But just because it feels that way doesn't mean that that's reality. Just because it feels like God is a long way off, just because it feels like God isn't listening, just because it feels like God has abandoned you, just because it feels like God has forsaken you, it doesn't mean that that's reality. But we need to be able to express this, don't we? To be able to say to God, it feels like my problems are right here in my face and it feels like you are a million miles away. And for generation after generation, decade after decade, century after century, God's people were trained to express to God what they were feeling, what they were experiencing. 
that it feels like our problems are right here and you are way off there. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Have you ever felt that way? That, that people are like a pack of wild animals? And they're tearing you apart. And you can't, you can't turn this way or that way. You can't do anything right. It seems like everybody is encircling you. It, it seems like everybody is out to get you. It seems like everybody is devouring you. Yes, if you feel that way, you're not the first one who's felt that way. You're not the first one. You're not the only one. You won't be the last one to feel like People are a bunch of wild animals and are tearing you apart. But again, Jesus embodies every word of this psalm, doesn't he? To the very last detail. So much so that they literally pierced his hands and his feet. They, they literally took the clothes off his back and cast lots for them. So that Jesus becomes, again, not just our fellow sufferer, but the ultimate sufferer who embodies every word of this psalm so that you know Jesus knows what it feels like to say, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why don't you answer me? Verse 19, but you, O Lord, don't be far off O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Th this is the cry of everyone who has ever suffered in any way, shape, or form, whether it's little or it's big. This is the cry, isn't it? Don't be far away. Be here. Be closer to me than my problems are. Be closer to me than my enemies are. Be, be closer to me than my struggles are. Be closer to me than my disappointments are. God, be right here with me. Deliver me. Save me. Don't abandon me. Listen to me. Answer me. Help me. And Jesus knows that prayer. And he knows you pray that prayer. And he knows that you have and will have moments where you feel exactly this way. But look at the, the latter half of verse 21. The psalmist says, You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted 
And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. That's the the resolution of all of this, isn't it? I know you feel like you've been abandoned. I know you feel like you've been forsaken. I know you feel like God is a long way away. I know you feel like God isn't going to answer you. But those feelings, those feelings are not reality. God has not despised. God has not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. And in this passage, the afflicted is is singular. It's It's the psalmist or pointing forward to Jesus. It's Jesus. He hasn't hasn't forsaken you, you afflicted one, you one that has embodied all of this hurt and all of this pain and all of this disappointment. He hasn't forsaken you, he hasn't abandoned you, he hasn't hidden his face from you. He hears you and he has saved you. And what is the salvation of Jesus? The resurrection, isn't it? It's the empty tomb, it's the proof that God hasn't forsaken Jesus, God hasn't abandoned Jesus, God hasn't hidden his face from Jesus. He listened, and he saved him, and he delivered him, and he raised him up from the dead. And because of that act of salvation and deliverance, the psalmist says, because God saved the one, the many can celebrate. Because God saved the one, the many can celebrate. Amen? Because God saved the one afflicted one. Everybody can celebrate. He goes on to say, verse 25, 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. See, in in verse 24, when it says the affliction of the afflicted, he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, that's singular. And here in this verse, in verse 26, when it says the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied, that's plural. That's all the afflicted. Another word for that is the meek. The meek. Because God has saved the one afflicted one, the many afflicted ones, that's, you know, you know I like to say it, right? That's all y'all, right? That, that's all of us, the plural, the many meek ones, the many suffering ones, the many afflicted ones, the many mocked ones, the many who have asked Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Because God has delivered the one afflicted one, the many afflicted ones shall eat and be satisfied. Isn't isn't this the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek, for you inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Because God has delivered the one, the many can celebrate. Look at verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. This this psalm is amazing. It it not only says to us, hey, there's going to be moments. There's going to be moments. 
there's going to be moments of profound disappointment. There's going to be moments of profound hurt where you say, God, where are you? And why have you abandoned me? And why are things going this way? But here's what I want us to recognize. In the spirit, and I I wanted to put this on the screen so we can think about this together. In the spirit, David looked nearly a thousand years into the future because of the spirit of God and said there would be a single act of deliverance a single act of deliverance that was so monumental it would bring the whole world into submission to the Lord. Isn't that what he's saying? That there's going to be one so monumental, one act of deliverance so huge that all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. Kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over Not just Israel, not just Judah, but the nations. He says, because of some act of deliverance, because God delivers the afflicted one, all the nations will come to worship God, and they'll remember. God's going to put together a a multi-ethnic, a multinational, a multilingual kingdom who's going to remember what he did for the afflicted one that he didn't turn his back on him. He saved him. He delivered him. And because God saved the one, the one afflicted one, the many afflicted ones can celebrate and rejoice because what God did for the one, he will do for the many. What God did for the one, he'll do for the many. What God did for Jesus, he will do for you. He will raise you up. He will resurrect you. He will save you. He will give you immortality. Keep reading verse 29. It says this, All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Oh, this psalm is so rich, isn't it? David says there's going to be a a single act of deliverance that is so great, so monumental, it'll bring the world to God's feet. And it's going to be good news for everybody. Good news for everybody. He doesn't leave anybody out. The prosperous, that is the rich, the dead, those who go down to the dust, the dying, the ones who can't keep themselves alive. It's good news for the rich. It's good news for the dead. It's good news for the dying. It's good news for the coming generation. It's good news for those who are yet unborn. It's good news for everybody. It's good news for everybody who's meek. It's good news for everybody who trusts in the Lord. It's good news for everybody who says, God, when are you going to save me? When are you going to help me? When are you going to deliver me? Have you abandoned me? Do you hear me? Are you there? My problems are right here in my face, and it seems like you're a long way away. The psalmist says, a thousand years before Jesus, there's coming a deliverance. There's coming a salvation. There's coming a resurrection. That because of what he does for the one, 
the many can celebrate and rejoice. And it's good news for everybody. It's good news for the rich. It's good news for the dead. It's good news for the dying. It's good news for the coming generation. It's good news even for those who haven't been born yet. It's good news for you. It's good news for you that even though it feels like God is a long way away, and even though it feels like God has abandoned you, and even though it feels like God has forsaken you, he hasn't. What he's done for the one, he'll do for all those who trust in him. God doesn't forsake his people. God doesn't abandon his people. God doesn't turn his back on his people. God doesn't hide his face from his people. What he's done for the one afflicted one, he'll do for the many afflicted ones. So here's what I want us to focus on this morning. In every disappointment of life, there's going to be some. Maybe you're experiencing some right now. But in every disappointment of life, the empty tomb reminds us that God does not forsake his people. In every disappointment of life, the empty tomb is still empty. And the empty tomb reminds us that God does not forsake his people. God did not forsake Jesus. God did not abandon Jesus. God did not turn his face from Jesus. That's what the psalm says. The psalm says, this is how I'm feeling, but the psalm resolves in that you haven't abhorred, you haven't turned your face, you haven't turned your back, you haven't forsaken, you delivered me, you saved me, you rescued me. And because God did that for Jesus, if you hide your life in Jesus, he will do that for you. Being in Jesus Christ trusting in Jesus Christ, uniting yourself to Jesus, first in baptism, and then every step of your discipleship means knowing that God does not forsake his people. God does not forsake his people. The empty tomb is proof. It's proof that he raised Jesus up, but also proof that he will raise you up. And that is our hope. That's why we keep pressing on. That's why we keep persevering. That's why we know, even though I feel like you're not showing up, even though I feel like you've abandoned me, even though I feel like you've forsaken me, even though I feel like you're not listening, even though it feels like my problems are here and you're way up there, I know that God does not forsake his people. And because of that one act of salvation in raising Jesus up, he's drawn together a multi-ethnic, multinational, multilingual family, a kingdom who worship him and serve him and fear him and know that what God has done for Jesus, he will do for us. Maybe you're going through one of those moments right now. One of those moments where you feel disappointed, you feel heartbroken, you feel let down, you feel abandoned. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to admit that. It's okay, it's okay to articulate that. To say, this is how I'm feeling right now. And it's okay to let your brothers and sisters in Christ surround you and pray with you and pray for you and remind you that the empty tomb means God does not 
forsake his people. So after service, and again, I say it all the time, so it's easy to just gloss over it and, and get ready to sing the song, but wait just a second. After class, or after service rather, before you go to class, our shepherds meet every week in the prayer room. And there's nothing in the world that they would rather do than pray with you and pray for you and remind you that you are loved. You are loved by God and you are loved by us and that God does not forsake his people. And every week we offer this invitation where shepherds will meet you down here to pray with you and pray for you, to walk with you through your disappointments and your struggles and your pains, to remind you that God loves you and we love you and God does not forsake his people. So if there's anything we can do for you this morning, take advantage of these opportunities. Come forward as together we stand and sing.